Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. This is the third in our sermon series in James, and it's called The Path to Peace. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Restoration. It's good to see you guys. Thanks for coming. Um, Today I want to emphasize something that we have available to you that you might not know about. Uh, We're going to talk today... We're going to look in the text of James 4, and we're going to see something that is universally applicable to every person in this room, and usually I like to start off with an illustration um, that kind of helps you realize that this is for you, but I'm just going to ask a simple question today, and if you answer yes, then this applies to you. Are you ready? Are you human? All right, sweet, you're in. All right, good. So try not to tune me out. And today, as we get into this text, I want you to resist the urge to look at someone you love and, and elbow them. Okay? This, this is a, an incredibly self-focused message. This is about you. This is what's going on in your heart, in your life. God is speaking to you. This is not the, the you know, hey, honey, you should listen. Right? we we gotta, we got to pay attention to this today. And uh, as we get into it, we're going to have an opportunity for prayer requests. Right? So I want to let you know that we've set up an email that if you have something on your heart, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's related to this message or you just, you're struggling with something, you're going through something. Will you send us an email to pray at restoration.church.us? Pray at restorationchurch.us. And I will be on my knees and I'll send it out to staff. I'll send it out to other people and we will be praying for you. So it's a safe place. You can leave it anonymously. You can tell us who you are and what's going on in your life. But pray at restorationchurch.us. That is set up for you to communicate for the body so that we can be for you. So why is, what are we going to talk about today that's so universal? It's pretty simple. Raise your hand if in the last week you've had a quarrel, a fight, a disagreement, or an argument with someone. All right. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, raise your hand if you're a liar. All right. We're going to get everybody here. Here's the deal. Fights and quarrels are so common among humanity, right? No matter whether you get a husband and a wife a parent and a child, two friends together, or two enemies, you're going to fight. You're going to quarrel. You're going to have disagreements. In the South, we call them knockdown dragouts, right? Has anybody ever had one of those? Those are scarier. But, I mean, it's usually loud and there's hangers going across the room. I, I used to have those in my younger days. Um, knockdown dragouts. They're crazy. We get into fights. But the question for today is, why? Why do you get into a fight? So often, why are there so many disagreements among us? Specifically, why is why does the church have disagreements? Why are there why is there division? Why is there brokenness in relationships within the body of Christ? Today we're going to be in James chapter four, and we're going to be looking at this this commonality, this thing that we know we shouldn't be about, but yet in the reality it exists. I don't care what you call it, whether you get upset or you get mad, or you get in a fight, or you get in a scuffle, however you want to define it, if there's tension between you and someone else, today's text is going to teach you something. So last week, Lance taught us about what it means to walk in godly wisdom. It ultimately looks like someone walking in humility, right? And that was defined into the end of James 3 as someone who has the wisdom of God is able to put others before themselves. They're able to become last. And he used that, the catchphrase, you know, we can be last because we're first on God's list, right? We can put others before us. We can walk in humility. We can walk with the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. We 
which is selfish and divisive and a demonic, right? And so what makes us be able to put ourselves last? Last week, it, or last week it was a concept, put yourself last. Today is going to be the step-by-step, how do we humble ourselves? In the midst of an opportunity for division, in the midst of a quarrel, in the midst of a fight, how do we humble ourselves? So join with me in James chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read it, kind of break it up in little groups, and we'll go through this text going through all the way to the path to peace. We're going to find out the anatomy of the war and the path to peace. So, James chapter 4, four verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? What a fitting question, considering the introduction, right? I mean, what a, like it's right here. What causes this stuff? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. Your passions are at war within you. We're going to focus in on that phrase. Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. Passions are at war within you. Let's pray for a second. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word has something to speak into my life. And Lord, I pray that all of us will come to this text not with an opinion of how it's supposed to align with us, but how we can align our hearts with what you are teaching. None of us are above this text, Father. None of us have got this perfectly. Teach us. Change us. Glorify yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. Your passions are at war within you. There are three big words in that little phrase. Passions are at war within you that we're going to focus in on. The first one is war. War. Why does James use the word war? Well, wars are complex, right? They're multifaceted. Wars are made up of many... There you go. Good job. Interaction. When there's a long pause of silence, that's where you get to interact, right? So wars are made up of many battles. They're complex. You don't win a war with one fight. Unless you push a button, apparently. But I mean, like, you don't win a war with one fight. You fight many battles along the way to get there. Battles among believers, battles among non-believers, battles among the church and in your family, with your kids, they're all complex. Why are they complex? Because we're complex. We bring a lot of things to a war, right? We bring a lot of things to a quarrel or a scuffle in our homes, in our workplaces, in our churches. We bring past experience. We bring expectations of what should happen. We bring uh, maybe negative past experiences. The last time we engaged in this, you did that. So therefore, I'm on guard, and it's, it's just gotten a little deeper, a little more complex. right? We might bring things from other relationships or other venues in our life that don't have anything to do with the situation, but they, they influence our actions, our words, our heart, our will in the middle of scuffles and fights and quarrels. There, we are complex, and we bring complexity into it. James uses the word war because he wants us to see that there are multiple battles. This thing that's going on inside of us has multiple battles. So that's where he gets to the word you, right? That's the second word in that. Your passions are at war within you. War, you is plural. It's not a single word, singular um, pronoun right there. It's a plural pronoun. Because James' chief concern, as we've been reading the book, is about the division among believers. Why are you guys fighting? It's basically, he's writing to the church saying, what is up? 
Why are you not living in, in godly wisdom and letting the word of God transform you and change you and walk with that? There's something going on. What's going on? So he talked about it in several different venues, right? He said, you're not caring for the poor. You're claiming to be religious, but you're not caring for the poor. And that's causing division among you. You, you use your tongue as a, as a spark to start fires and destruction, right? And he talked about his, the tongue. He talks about favoritism, right? When someone comes in, you elevate certain people, but you push other people down. Causes fights and quarrels among you. He's concerned about that. So this word plural means that this word you, which is plural, means there are multiple battlefields in these wars, these passions that war within you. Right? This is a good. This is good news. You're like that doesn't sound like good news. It is good news. And the reason it's good news is because with every battle, there's an opportunity for what? Victory. With every battlefield, there's an opportunity for victory. So if if we split the room in half. And there are 20 of you here and 20 of you here. And we split the room in half. And we decided to go at it. Right? There's 20 opportunities for victory on each side. And it could only take one peacemaker to let God win. Right? So in your marriages, there's opportunities for victory in your heart and in the heart of your spouse. In your, in, as you raise kids, there's opportunities for victory in your life and opportunities for victory uh, for God to rule and to reign in your children's lives. So it's not all on you to be perfect, right? You're going to fight. God has made, James is telling us, in our conflicts with one another, it's complex. There's lots of battlefields, but there's lots of opportunities for victory. That's somewhat encouraging. And what's the battle? What's, what's going at it? What are we really fighting over? Are we fighting over the checkbook? Are we fighting over who's, who fed the dog or who didn't feed the dog? Who, who didn't put something on the calendar and now we're having to cancel plans? What are we, what are we really fighting over? James uses the word passions. What are passions? Right? So we've got, there's a war. It's complex. It's crazy. There's plural you, which can also be understood singularly. You can apply it to yourself. And so there's lots of areas for victory. And what is battling passions? What is a passion? Your passion, the word here is hedonate. It's where we get the word hedonistic from. It's the inward gut emotions and physical desires of our body. Right? Things that we want so bad we feel it. Things we have to have so bad that it, it turns our stomach or it gives us a headache or it, it whets our appetite. We've got to have it. They're strong, right? So think about the last conflict you got into, whether it's with a coworker, spouse, your children, whatever it is, a friend. What did you want so bad you could feel it? Did you want to be heard? Did you want to be understood? Maybe for men, we want to be respected. Women, you want to feel loved? What is it that you wanted so bad you could feel it? And it began to drive the words that came out of your mouth. It began to drive your actions. That's what made you walk out the door and slam the door. That was, that's what made you stomp your feet and scream and cry at mommy and daddy. What, what is it that you felt so bad? What was that passion that was warring within you? In and of themselves, the desire to be loved is not bad, right? God gives us that desire. God gives us the good desire to be loved because he wants to love us, right? So he makes us people who desire relationship, desire community and intimacy, that want to be loved. That's a good desire. To be respected, it's not a bad desire, right? I mean, he sets up the home so that children respect their parents as a way to submit to the Lord, right? Children, honor your parents. He, he sets us up in society. Citizens, honor the government. Governments, honor me. Right? There's, there's, respect is not a bad desire. 
to be heard, to be understood. It's not a bad desire. So why are their passions, why are these good desires suddenly causing so much conflict and division? When a good desire goes bad, it becomes a ruling desire. Good desires go bad when they become ruling desires. And what is a ruling desire? There was a Campus Crusade used to use a really cool, like, um, submitted to the Holy Spirit booklet that you go and you talk to people who are believers and they're struggling with life, and it's like, hey, here's a little pamphlet about submitting to the Holy Spirit. Had these diagrams, had a circle, which represented your life, had a bunch of dots, which represented your wants, desires, and passions, and in the middle of it had a little chair. And that chair was the throne, right? And so it kind of symbolizes our lives and what we submit ourselves to. What kind of authority do we, we submit ourselves to? And there was one that the passions, the dots were all over the place. Some were in and out of your life. Some were all over the place. And it had a big S on the throne. And that was the word for, uh, the, the symbol for what? Self. Self, right? Self was ruling. Your passions, your desires had taken over the throne of your life. Um, and then had another picture on the side where all your desires were in order and there was a cross on the throne. Where when you're properly submitted to the leadership of God, he gives you your desires, right? Because he's the giver of good gifts. James talked about that in chapter 1. If you're lacking wisdom, ask because God gives generously. He's a good giver. And so we, if we let God sit on the throne of our life, the desires come in his timing. And there's order to it. When we sit on our lives, there's disorder, and there's chaos, and there's fights, and there's quarrels among us when self ascends the throne. So how do you know when a good desire has become a ruling desire? How, do you, how can you assess that? James tells us. You desire, this is verse 2, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. Whenever you are willing to sin to get what you want, that thing has taken over the rule of your life. You've begun to submit yourself to that desire. It's taken over your will. It takes over your tongue. It takes over your passion, your heart, your love for things. You begin to, you begin to poke and prod at your, at your spouse. You begin to you know, sarcastically make fun of your kids. You begin to push aside employees or make sure they know that you're their boss and you, you're going to submit to me. You demand things. <laughs> I love it, Casey. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you begin, you begin to be willing to sin to get what you want. That's when you know a good desire has become a ruling desire when you're willing to sin to get it. You covet and you do not have. And you, you don't have because you don't ask the God who is willing to give. You don't let him come and sit on the throne of life. And so you ask and you do not obtain. You don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Because ultimately you're asking God, give me what I want so I can rule. I can still be in charge and I can have what I want. And I'm willing to sin to get it. Sin against people and sin against you. Good desires go bad when they become ruling desires. So here's the opportunity for victory. Right? That's, that's one of the areas of opportunity for victory. When you're in the war, when you're in the scuff, when you're in the quarrel with, with your neighbor, you get an opportunity to identify the ruling desire and then take it off the throne. And then let the Holy Spirit come and rule your life. And submit yourself to something higher, something different. A godly wisdom that James talks about in chapter 3. That is characterized by humility and putting others first and you becoming last. You see the opportunity for victory? It happens in their life. It happens in your life. It can happen between the both of you. You can both sit down and talk about what is ruling you right now. Like what are you really arguing? What are we really arguing about? And you can get that word out and you can begin to understand 
where you're coming from. And if you're in a group of people fighting with another group of people, it might just take two people submitting to the Holy Spirit to be the peacemakers. It might just take two little moments of victory to bring peace to the whole situation. Pretty cool. Pretty crazy. Now, this, this ruling desire thing is pretty bad. It's not just simply, okay, I have a desire that's ruling me. No, James tells us how bad it really is. Keep going in the text. James is going to tell you how bad it really is. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, there are some big words here that should make your spiritual ears be like, bing! I mean, just pop right up. Big words right there. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What does it mean to have friendship with the world? It means to let your desires rule you. That's what being friends with the world is. To, to, to want to have worldly wisdom, which is demonic and divisive and self-centered. That's, that's letting self rule, right? Friendship with the world versus friendship with God, which is humble, loving, self-sacrificing. Letting the wisdom of God and the word of God change you. It's pretty big. And then look at, look at verse, uh, let's see, verse 3, part B. Whoever, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Notice that that's not just something that happens to you. A desire doesn't just take over your life and you're a victim to your desire. There's, there's a consciousness to wishing to be an enemy of God. And it's basically saying this. I don't trust you to rule. I don't trust you to sit on that throne. I've wanted this so bad for so long and you haven't given it. I don't believe that you're a good giver. I don't believe that you have my best interest in mind. So therefore, I'm going to take it. I'm going to make my wife respect me. I'm going to make my kids submit to my authority. I'm going to make my employees know who's the boss. And so I'm willing to sin against them and remove you from the throne of my life to get it because I don't trust you. I don't trust you to be the good giver. So I want, and therefore I wish, to be your enemy. What makes us an enemy at that moment? In those, in those fights, in those moments, what makes us an enemy? We're taking over a throne that belongs to him. He, he purchased it with the blood of Christ. Right? He came and he said, I want, your, I want you. I want your soul. I want your heart. I want you to know me. I want you to love me. So I'm going to make a way. I'm going to send my son. He's going to, we're going to, I'm going to sacrifice everything, and I'm going to make a way for you. I'm going to purchase you with my blood. And you look at it and say, yeah, you didn't pay enough. Get out. You're an enemy of God in those moments. When self rules, we're enemies with God. And it's something we desire, we want. Yikes. That makes these fights and quarrels more than just, well, I'm going to say I'm sorry. Right? I mean, it, it makes this stuff, these little moments of conflict between believers, especially churches that split over this conflict, it makes it so much bigger. That means that instead of choosing to submit ourselves to God, we've decided to become enemies of God together and then fracture the body of Christ. That's what James is saying. And how do we know that God wants to rule? How do we know that he wants to be on that throne? Look at verse 5. Do you not suppose it is for any purpose that the scripture says... He yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us. He yearns jealously over the throne of your life. When you give yourself to him 
and you keep trying to take it back, there's this jealous yearning for, your, for the authority over you so that He can give you good gifts. He has put His Spirit in us. He has made His Spirit to dwell within us. He has given us the good gift of His Spirit with us. He wants to give us a life that is full of good things, and yet we don't trust Him, so we try to steal that throne from Him, and He has this jealous yearn to take it back. He wants you. He wants to be the good giver. He wants to be the good father in your life. Yet, we make, we choose to be enemies. So what do we do? What's the path to peace? How do, how do we go from wishing to be enemies of God and wishing to be enemies of people to becoming peacemakers? <clears throat> becoming people who walk in a submitted uh, position to God. People who are controlled by the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of the world. People who are of unity and not of division. How do we find healing in our marriages? Where do we find healing in the relationships of children that we've exacerbated and pushed away? Where do we, where do we find peace? There's a path. James says, good, here's good news. This is the reality of your self-rule. Here's how you get out of the situation. Right? Last week it's put others first. Right? Become last, put others first, because you're first on God's list, right? He wants to rule your life, he wants to be your good giver. I love the illustration Lance used. You can go to the dinner and give away the filet mignon and the best banana splits and the greatest cupcakes because your father's the chef, right? I mean, like, he wants to rule. He wants to give, to give good things. So how do we get there? Last week, it's a concept. Put God first. It's a concept. This week, it's a how-to. Here's the pattern, right? James continues. Here's the pattern. Verse 7, because God wants to rule, submit yourself. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. <clears throat> so it starts with submission. Submission is a decision to put yourself under. It's a decision to say, you have an authority over me and I'm not going to sit on that throne. You can have it back. It's a choice. It's a submission, first of all, to his word. Right? He's clearly communicated this, the how to live in harmony with him and with others. He's laid it out in the word of God. But too often we go to the word and we tell it how it should fit us versus letting us, us become adapted to it, right? The word of God tells us, do not sin. I mean, do not covet. Do not murder. Do not lie. Well, that's good, but there's these certain situations where white lies are okay, right? We just have to tell it how we're going to live versus letting it tell us how to live. That's submission. You say, okay, no longer do I have the authority to tell you, God, what I'm going to do. You tell me. So you submit to his word. You submit to the rule of his spirit. Right? He didn't leave us in this by ourselves. The spirit of God works in us individually and in us corporately. Right? So get involved in community. And as you see God revealing himself in truth, submit to it. Don't fight the community. Don't try to poke and prod and, 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 and just cause division. It's funny, yesterday we were at the farmer's market. We had a great time at the farmer's market. We're going to talk about this in the service. We had a great time at the farmer's market meeting people. But there were certain people that come up, and they would just ask you straight up, so I guess you hate this kind of person, don't you? I guess you don't like this, because you're a church. You must, this must be a problem for you. Hey, would you like a free bottle of water? <laughs> I mean, we're trying to give you a bottle of water, and you assume we hate you. You know, like, there's, there's this natural just desire to divide. That's not submission to the Holy Spirit. And if they were believers, it's definitely not submission to the Holy Spirit. Right? That's not being a part of the community of Christ. Loving one another. Living together with one another. 
challenging one another, bearing one another's burdens, all those one another's, submitting ourselves to the Word of God and the community of God, to the person of God. He is the king. So we got to submit ourselves. The question is, what would motivate you to submit yourself? That comes in just a second. So you decide that you're going to submit yourself. Then the step two is this. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So when we become Christians, we think, okay, cool. I've got the Holy Spirit. He's going to do all the heavy labor. Jesus, make me humble. Right? We'll pray that prayer. God, help me be a better lover to my wife and my children. Help me to be a better employee. God, do this all for me. Walking with Christ is not passive. It's active. When, when the temptation for self to come up, you don't just say, oh, God, take away that desire. No, no. You stand your ground and you resist it. You fight. Pull out the sword. Pull out the shield. You go to battle. Right? You get ready for it. Resist the devil. Resist the temptation to believe the lies over the truth. Go, go to the Word and say, I don't really understand this, but I know this is truth. I, the world is telling me this, and it sounds better. It feels better. It seems more convenient for me to live by this. But your, your, your word is in conflict with that. I'm going to resist the law and believe the truth. Resist the devil. And what's the promise there? What will happen? He will run. He wants easy targets. He does not want a battle. He's already lost the big war. right? He wants the little battles he can win. He's going down. Read the end of the book. We win, right? He, it's hopeless for him. So he wants willing victims. He wants people to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, God is not a good giver. You've been wanting your husband to love you and respect you and, and understand how you're feeling for a long time. He's not doing it right. So why don't you go get it from someone else? You, you've, been, you've been wanting your children to respect you, but they're not. So kick them out of the house. Cut off the relationship. Be done with them. Get them out. He, God's not a good giver. He's not going to. He's not going to do good things in your family if you submit to him. Do it yourself. The lies. The constant temptations. Resist the devil. And when you're standing firm on the word of truth, and you're standing firm in the community of Christ, then he looks at you and you're like, this is not an easy target. He flees from you. He goes and finds somebody else. He'll come back. He'll come back. He'll look for you in a moment of weakness, when you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you've had enough, when, when you've been disconnected for a while, he'll come back. But when we stand firm, he runs. The third step, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. What makes you want to submit to a holy God? What would, what would motivate you? I think one of the biggest things is when you see that he's so much more than you are. When God becomes really big and we become really small, it becomes really simple to submit to him. When we see how much glory he has, how much authority he has, how he has ruled the universe, how he has set the stars in motion, how he has created everything in the body to have a backup plan. When we see his design, his perfection, his beauty, his glory, when we draw near to him, and any time you draw near to something, it gets what? Bigger, right? As he gets bigger, we get smaller. Submission becomes easy. But if we don't resist the devil and we're pulled away and he gets smaller and smaller and smaller in our minds, submission is harder. Passions begin to rule, overtake. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You pursue him, he is, he's like waiting with open arms. Come and get it. 
He wants to be the loving, beautiful father over your life. He wants it so bad, he gave his son for it. He wants it so bad, he didn't just give his son, he gave himself to you to dwell in you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And the last step, step four. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's basically this. Take responsibility for your sin and repent. Cleanse your hands. If you're in the fight with your wife, with your kids, you're, you're in the fight with your co-workers or your neighbor, don't expect them to be the peacemaker. Right? Come back and do a self-evaluation. What desire is ruling my heart right now? Can I submit to it? Man, I was wrong to use my words in that way. I was wrong to use my actions in that way. And then go back and confess it. Cleanse your hands. Take responsibility for your actions. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Let, let Christ's rule and love come through you towards someone else. Humble yourself in the midst of, of your fights and your quarrels. Become the peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Become the peacemaker. You double-minded. Remember, double-minded is the people who are waging that war. Godly wisdom, worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom, worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom, worldly wisdom. Which one's going to rule? Which one's going to win? That's what James talks about when he says he uses that word double-minded. Right? Do I go with what I feel or do I go with what God said? Repent of your wrong-mindedness. Repent of your letting your passions rule. Confess your sins to one another so you may be healed. He gets to that in chapter 5, right? Here it comes. What causes fights and quarrels among us? Why do we get into it all the time? Why does that characterize humanity? Because we all want something we can't have. And we don't trust that God will give it to us. So we take over the mission to get it. We sin to get it. We make ourselves enemies of God. And that causes division, and death, fractures in families, the divorce rate to be over 50%. Why, why do we fight like that? The path to peace is simple. It's, it's simple in words. It's complex in life, right? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Let him become huge in your mind so that you become small. And then accept the responsibility for what you've done wrong. Cleanse your hands. Repent. Confess. Change your mind to trust the word of God and be renewed by it. Let's pray.